everyone, this is Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no offseason, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just a line drive from Sunken Diamond, the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. I'm back up in the north for a little bit, and... Well, there's not a lot of relevant baseball going on up here in the Bay Area. You know, it wasn't that long ago that this was a place where the A's were going to the postseason just about every year. Giants made the playoffs every other year, winning it every other year between 2010, 12, and 14. They had a decent bullpen last year. They may have won another one. But now, well, the A's are selling off their players. Friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle, is killing it in... Washington, as I'm recording this, uh, the Nationals are winning 15-1 to in the 15th inning against the Milwaukee Brewers. I don't think that's going to be a save situation unless you get one of my favorite kind of saves, which is when they bring in a pitcher to pitch the final three innings of the game. I love those saves. I don't know what that says about me, but I love those saves. Uh, the, so the Brewers are just getting... Their ass is kicked. And, and if they win this game, which they're losing 15-1 to 1 as I'm recording this, uh, then, you know, proverbial tip of the cap to the Brewers. But, you know, it's... I, you know, I hate to say stuff like this because there's two entire months. And as I'm recording this, the, the, the Brewers are one half game out of a playoff spot. So you know, by by that measure, you're like they're they're in good shape. You know, it's not yet the trade deadline. There are two games back in the loss column, the Chicago Cubs. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought if I if I was if I time travel, if I jumped into TARDIS, if I jumped into the DeLorean, if I jumped into uh, whatever mode of time travel transportation, if I were the Enterprise crew taking the Klingon bird of prey and whipping it around the sun to save a whale, bless you if you're getting all these references to time travel and movies. And I went back to the beginning of the season and I said, guess what? On the 27th day of July, which is the day I'm recording this, the Milwaukee Brewers, a team that would have been in absolute rebuild mode, would be a half game behind the Chicago Cubs, the defending world champion Chicago Cubs. It still sounds weird to say that. You would say, oh my God, what a great time to be a Brewer fan. This is incredible. And the fact of the matter, this entire season, the Brewers have been overachieving. The Brewers have been playing at an incredible clip that virtually nobody saw them playing like this. That being said, they've played so mis... I mean, I mean, I don't want to say they've been playing miserably this month because actually they've had a winning July. You think about that. They have had a winning July. They are, well, they're going to be 500 at the end of the day. So, oh, it's not like they collapsed. Well, they went, they went on a streak where they won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight out of nine games just before the All-Star break. At the All-Star break, the Milwaukee Brewers had a five-and-a-half game lead. And in less than 10 days, or in less than, sorry, in less than two weeks, no, less than 10, yeah, that they have turned a five-and-a-half game lead, which they had as late as July 15th, and here we are 12 days later, and they are half a game back. That in the last, that their record for the last bunch of weeks is two and eight. They've lost eight of their last 10 games, and of course the Cubs have won eight of their last 10 games. And so they've passed each other. But here's the thing, what happens, there are market corrections. The Cubs have been a sub-500 team for much of this year, and everybody, including your pal Sully, have picked the Cubs. I picked the Cubs to win the pennant. I thought we were going to have a rematch World Series. And my logic was, I felt the Cubs, while not as strong as they were last year, were still a damn good team. 
and a team that I would not want to face in a short series. And I thought the Cleveland Indians were going to run away with the American League Central and be well-designed, maybe not win the most regular season games, but be the team that I most fear in a short series. And here's the deal, Chachi. I stand by that pick. That's not necessarily what I'm rooting for. What I want, I would love to see, obviously I'm a Red Sox fan, so I want to see the Red Sox in. If it can't be the Red Sox, and quite frankly, I'm fine if it's not the Red Sox. I don't look at this Red Sox team as, oh my God, this is, a, this is World Series or bust. No, it's a flawed team. I'm going to get a little bit into the Red Sox a little bit later in this podcast. But if it can't be the Red Sox, I would love to see Cleveland in the World Series. Uh, and they are just, they're on a roll as well. And I wouldn't mind, and I would love it to be Cleveland, Washington. I think that would be great. I think Houston versus Washington. I want Washington to win the National League. And if it can't be Washington, I'll have it be LA. If it can't be LA, I'll have it be Milwaukee. And I know, you know, I'm, I, I'm just, there are other teams I want to see win other than the Cubs. That being said, if the Cubs played the Dodgers, if the Cubs played the Nationals, if the Cubs played Arizona, Colorado, Milwaukee, all the teams that are contending this year, in a short series, I'd pick the Cubs. And in a short series in the American League, I'd pick the Indians. I'm sitting, I mean, look, the Indians have a, only a tiny lead against the Kansas City Royals. And by the way, I'm finding it fun as hell seeing that the Kansas City Royals have decided to say, do you want, we're not going to be sellers this trade deadline. We're actually going to go for it. I think that's kind of fun. And it kind of shows you where I can turn around on some teams. Because I did not like the Royals in 2014 when they beat the A's. I did not root for the Royals in the World Series against the Mets. But now I'm thinking, hey, wouldn't it be cool if the Royals would be one of the wild card teams? Partly because I wanted to kick the damn Yankees out of it. But the Brewers are in that position right now where I look at them and I go like, do you know what? You overachieved all year. And if the Milwaukee Brewers finish the season 82 and 80, then uh, you would have to consider this to be a successful season. You would. I mean, that's just, I'm sorry, but you know, you went into this year not knowing what you're going to get and think it was going to be a complete rebuild. So if they had a winning season this year, yeah, you'd have to be happy with that if you're a Brewer fan, right? I mean, if the Brewers finish the season 28 and 30, if, that, if that's what they go the rest of the year, 28 and 30, then they would finish the year with a winning season, which would be, by all preseason predictions, a success. But because... They got up and they built a five-and-a-half game lead at the All-Star break. Everything was looking bleak for the Cubs at the All-Star break. They had not, not one player, not one damn player who played for the Cubs in the 2016 World Series was representing the Cubs in the All-Star game. I can't, I, I really... I, I think even the, the 1998 Marlins who disassembled their team still had, I think they had Edgar Renteria represent them in the World Series. I mean, this was not a team that was dismantled after winning the World Series. They're intact. And they look like, oh my God, are they even going to have a winning season? Are the Brewers pushing away with a five and a half game lead? Is this going to be one of the big flops? Are they hung over? Now the Cubs have passed them and it is the biggest half game lead I can ever imagine. Just because I, the Cubs are, on paper, the better team. They underachieved the first half of the season. The Brewers overachieved. And now comes the market correction. So I, I, I want to make this absolutely clear. I would like to see Milwaukee win. And Cub fans, including Cub fan with the eight, will probably be pissed off to hear that. But do you know what? This is part of the price you get when your team wins. Part of the price is people no longer, you're no longer the lovable loser, you know, and how much they were the lovable loser in reality and how much were they a big market team spending big money to win a title as opposed to the Brewers who had to 
you know, piece the team together and hope that they have a small window of opportunity. I guess I'm more interested in those windows of opportunity, which is one reason I'm actually can be fine with the Red Sox not winning the World Series this year. Again, I want them to. I just don't think they're going to. Teams like the Brewers have very small windows of opportunity, which is why you have to cannonball your way into them in order to make it work. The fact that the Pittsburgh Pirates went on a big run recently and are on the cusp of contention in the NL Central makes me wonder, should they be really going for it this year? But I think the fact of the matter is, this is still the Cubs division. And now they're in front. After all the things that went wrong this year, after all the losing, the Cubs can look and say, with a little more than two months to go, we're in first. And the Brewers, who were in first place at the All-Star break in 2014, they're teams that have great first halves and fall apart. And man, if any team looks like it's falling apart, it's a team that has blown a five-and-a-half game lead in less than two weeks. And what's the score right now? I'm almost afraid to look. What is the score? I'm going to go to MLB.com. Drum roll, please. They're still losing 15-1, to and they're facing Max Scherzer. Going out on limb, I think the Brewers are going to lose this game. That is my brave prediction. Well... And, and it's, you know, I, I think the Brewers have good young players on their team. I think they've done very smart things. They did exactly what I said they should be doing in the offseason, which is, you know, bringing up young players and, and crossing your fingers and hoping things work out. And maybe this first half of the season, they were kind of overachieving and ahead of schedule, kind of like the way... The Rays were in 2008 in the way that the Astros were in 2015. But if you can be the Cubs and say, after all that, we're still in first by ourselves, how are you going to lose? If you're the Brewers and say, everything went our way. Think about all the things that went in for the Brewers. The Cubs got off to a sluggish start. The Pirates got off to a sluggish start. St. Louis got off to a sluggish start. They pulled ahead and got a five-and-a-half game cushion going into the All-Star break, putting teams like the Cubs, like the Pirates, like the Cardinals, at a position where they had to stare themselves in the mirror and say, are we even contenders this year, or should we be trading away assets? With some of the play, like like... You know, the Cubs made the trade for Quintana. You could have made the case that the Cubs were falling back, hovering around 500. You could have made the case and said, do you know what, maybe we should trade Jake Arrieta. We're probably not going to sign him long-term anyway. And with the market for pitchers just through the roof right now, the Cubs could have said, hey, we could probably get two top young players to insert into our team in exchange for Arietta, take one tiny step back in 2017, where there's still all the goodwill after winning the World Series last year, and go into 2018 with all the pieces still there, Rizzo, Bryant, you know, uh, 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 Schwarber, all the pieces, John Lester, all these pieces are still there, with two good young players inserted into it, that would make sense. If the Cubs didn't go on this run, and if the Brewers didn't go on this run. It's funny that you write your narrative and the memory of a season based upon how it ends. And retroactively, the teams that are in the World Series are the teams that basically owned that year. But there have been instances like Kansas City in 2014, who had a losing record around this time. A team like the Rockies in 2007. There are teams that go on these great runs, like Houston did in 2005, who were stumbling around for the first half of the season and wound up playing in the World Series. People forget that for a big chunk of 2004, the Red Sox looked lost and wandering around in the woods. 
if you would have told me while the Red Sox were getting clobbered in uh, the middle of July that this was going to be the most beloved Red Sox team of all time, I would have said, you've lost your damn mind. You've lost your damn mind. But that's the case. So what can Milwaukee do? There's really three options for Milwaukee. Hope that this losing streak they're having right now is not a market correction, but a bad 10-game stretch. Teams can have a bad 10-game stretch, and they can turn some things around. Losing 15-1 to today is really not high up there. But hey, here's the other thing. You're facing Max Scherzer. You're probably going to lose to Max Scherzer anyway. So you're better off losing 15-1. to You're better off just getting your butt kicked and saying, all right, we, this is not our day. Dust yourself off and move on. You can't look back at a 15-to-1 game and say, ah, if only, if only, if only what? If only all the nationals slept in? I mean, there's no if only in a 15-to-1 game. And you hope they said, maybe you say, okay, that's rock bottom. It's Thursday. We got an early game. We got our ass kicked. Let's dust ourselves off and move on. I don't know. Uh, so I'm going to go to uh, the scoreboard and see where they're heading off to tomorrow. Um, so tomorrow, well, this is it. I didn't even know this. The Brewers are playing the Cubs. And I'll say it. I, I did not even, I swear, I swear. And Ray, you know I'm an atheist, so when I say, when I swear to God, uh, I mean it. That sentence doesn't even remotely make sense. I swear that I did not know that they were about to face the Cubs. So here we go. 28th, 29th, and 30th, this weekend, could be the weekend where the Cubs basically put the Brewers away. And I know that sounds bizarre when you're just, even before August, and you say, oh, you could make up a three-game league. No, you can't sometimes. Just psychologically, if they can come in and say, okay, head-to-head, we're better than you. You got off to a nice start. We got off to a clunky start. We're better than you now. We're better than you. You saw the Pirates fall apart against Central teams a few years ago, and that pretty much cost them their chance to win the NL Central and maybe cost them a pennant because they had to play that wild card game, and they kept facing ace pitchers. If they had won the division one of those years, they probably would have won the pennant. I absolutely believe that. If the, if the, if the Pirates had won the division in 2015, I do believe they would have won the pennant. And those head-to-head games against the division are what killed them. Well, here we are, these head-to-head games, Milwaukee has to slow down the Cub juggernaut. They have to say, we're still in this. So Milwaukee is going to head out starting Friday in a series where they're at home, but you know there's going to be a ton of Cub fans there because Milwaukee is, what, four feet from Chicago? There's going to be a ton of Cub fans up there who are now strutting around like peacocks. I know, I'm a Red Sox fan. I know what it's like to go from the team that, oh, we never win, to suddenly you win, you're you're walking around with your, your, your your chest puffed out. I can't even say chest. This weekend could basically decide the National League Central and maybe the pennant. Because I believe that the Cubs will win the pennant if they're in the postseason. And the history was like, oh man, the Cubs back-to-back pennants, they dominated. Without remembering that for the first half of the season, they were floundering around like a spider in the toilet. Nobody will remember that. Not a person will remember that. Not even Cub fans will remember that. Because most fans don't remember the minutiae leading up to the title. They only remember what they do in October. That's the only thing they remember. So if the Cubs go into Milwaukee and give them a forearm shiver to the face, then that's it. Bye. Bye, Brewers. You had a nice first half. Build on that for the next year. 
If the Brewers can win this series and hold their own, then we could have ourselves a pennant race. We could have ourselves a divisional race. And with the fact that the Rockies and the Diamondbacks are playing, you know, a better winning percentage than the Central, this could be a you got to win the division if you want to punch your ticket to October situation. So Milwaukee, home of Fonzie, home of that beer bottle that had the glove on it, the opening of Laverne and Shirley. Milwaukee, home to the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee, where several of my friends got their master's degree. Home to Marquette, the alma mater of my dear cousin Dave, who very well may be listening to this very podcast as I speak. This is your year this weekend. This is your opportunity to make 2017 a year that Milwaukee fans remember forever or will forget before it's November. No pressure. I think that the talent that's on this Brewers team could be very effective, especially if the Cardinals and Pirates continue to take their little steps back from the postseason. And the Giants are going nowhere and the Mets are stubbing their toe left and right. Milwaukee could be a contender for the next years to come, but a first trip to the postseason and dethroning the champs would be something else, would truly be something else. And when you take a look at, think about this for a second. I may have mentioned this on a podcast, but the last time a world champion made the playoffs the next year was the 2012 Cardinals. And they barely made it by the skin of their teeth in a, uh, as the road playoff, uh, the road wildcard team. Of course, they got to game seven, the NLCS, but think about that. 2011, the Cardinals win the World Series. 2012, they're back in the playoffs. All right, the world champs in 2012 were the Giants. They did not make the world, they did not make the playoffs in 2013. World champs in 2013 were the Red Sox. They did not make the playoffs in 2014. The world champs in 2014 were again the Giants. They didn't make the playoffs in 2015. The world champs in 2015, they were the Royals. The Royals didn't make the playoffs last year. Now the defending world champs are the Cubs. They finally made it back to first. For a while, it looked like they were going to be the next team on that list. And the Brewers, you can do it. Keep an eye. We'll see where we are next week because the trade deadline will happen. And I actually think the Brewers should do something kind of bold. I, should think, I think they should do something kind of bold. Whether it's going for a U Darvish or trying to fill in a bunch of their holes. You say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to put it together. Because you could have a packed house going down the line in Milwaukee for the rest of the year. And a chance for a young team to get a really good shot at the postseason, and then roll the dice. It's not like the Nationals have a great history of postseason success. It's not like the Dodgers haven't shot themselves in the foot in a bunch of the last Octobers, and now they're looking at Clayton Kershaw, who's probably on the disabled list as a precaution. But you don't know, I mean, if you remove the Cubs from the situation, if you remove the Cubs from the playoffs, you have the Nationals, Brewers, you have the Dodgers, you have Colorado and Arizona. If you remove the Cubs, you can honestly say, I don't know who's winning the the National League. Probably the Dodgers, maybe the Nats, but I don't know because there is not a single postseason juggernaut strutting around like a peacock. And if we go into October saying, I don't know who's going to win the American League, I don't know who's going to win the National League, that's pretty amazing. If we go into October and the Indians and the Cubs are in it, I think we have a good idea who's going to be facing off in the World Series. I picked a rematch. I stand by the rematch. By the way, I wanted to say this one quick thing before we get into uh, the team that should have won. I know there's a lot of controversy going on uh, amongst the Red Sox and Red Sox fans about David Price and 
picking a verbal fight with Dennis Eckersley. Um, I wrote on Twitter that there is no microscope strong enough to detect how little a shit I give about what David Price said to Dennis Eckersley. And that's true. I bet Dennis Eckersley rubs a lot of those players the wrong way as he's an old school Hall of Famer guy who you know speaks his mind and will insult players from time to time. I bet that drives players bananas. I also don't care if it does because they, you know, that's what a commentator is going to do. And Boston's a tough city to be a sports fan. As for David Price, all I don't care what David Price does. I was never a big David Price fan because he helped beat the Red Sox in 2008 and he seemed to want to pick fights with David Ortiz and blah, 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 blah. He's had a wonderful career. He's been a wonderful pitcher, but he's only been so-so with Boston. And it's been a classic like, oh boy, please don't tell me this is another big, huge contract that's going to blow up in the Red Sox face, a la Sandoval, a la Carl Crawford. And now people are, there's the whispering of like, are they trying to run him out of town or anything like that? You want redemption? I'll give you redemption. You want to have this have a happy ending? I'll give you a happy ending. David Price, pitch like David Price. Just win games. The Red Sox are the, you know, let's not forget, the Red Sox are the defending American League East champs. And now David Price is the number two starter on the Red Sox. Chris Sale is the ace. Just win games. David Price, go out and win. Win your games. And yeah, I, I am looking at the win total at this. I know we're not supposed to look at the win total, but at this point, that's all I care about. David Price, take the mound. Did you win your game? Fine. There you go. Just pitch us to another division title. That's all I care. You know, all this running out of town, the press is too tough and blah, blah. I don't care about any of that. Boston presses clashed with players all the time. And uh, that's, part of the, that's part of what you sign on for when you go to Boston. It is not Tampa. It is not some of the smaller markets. I, there is a discernible difference. I can, I've seen the way the press treats people in Oakland, in Anaheim, in San Diego. It's different. It's even different for in L.A. and San Francisco, which are very big media spots. It's different in Boston. It's different in Philadelphia. It's different in New York. And you must know that. But on the other hand, I don't care. I just want to see him win. Just win the games. Win back-to-back divisions. Take the ball every five days and win. And guess what? Fans will love you. The media, whether or not the media loves you, whether or not Dennis Eckersley is going to look at you like, ah, you're not an old school guy, right? I don't care. Price is pitching on Friday against the Kansas City Royals. Price's record is not great. He's five and three. Price's ERA is okay, 3.82. He's had some dominating games, like that game he won on Sunday night against the Yankees, and he's had some crap games. When you've had dominating games and your ERA isn't sparkling, that means you've had some crap games to even it out. But he hasn't pitched horribly, and they don't need him to be an ace. Just win games. Just win games. And if it turns out the Red Sox win another division title and he's on the pitching staff, do you know what? In the end, that's all I care about. I've become very binary as I've passed the age of 45 in my life. I don't hang out with the players. David Price and I are never going to get a bowl of steamed clams, a Sprite, and talk about our favorite Star Wars movie. That's not going to happen. So, what is my relationship with David Price? My relationship with David Price is very simple. I'm a Boston Red Sox fan. He pitches for the Boston Red Sox. I want to see the Boston Red Sox win. There, that's it. I don't care if he gives a good quote. I don't care. I don't care if he's Kevin Millar. I don't care if he's Steve Carlton with his arms folded, never talking to the press. I really don't care. Win.
And if you and if and if he winds up getting dressed in a medieval knight costume on a horse and jousting with Dennis Eckersley, I don't care. Just make sure you don't hurt your arm. Because we need that. We need that to win the division. So I'm running out of uh, teams that should have won. I know I had said I was going to relaunch the podcast in July as more of an uh, interactive show. Um, and just the fact of the matter is, you know, life got in the way. That's what happens. Uh, I will eventually relaunch the show because in a different format altogether. Uh, just... I'm going to need a little more time to do that. Just being open and front with you. You know, this is uh, the next dime I make from Sully Baseball will be my first. Uh, but I'm looking to figure out ways to make that first dime. And it will probably mean relaunching the show and doing a few things that are technically more complicated than what I'm currently doing. But uh, it will happen. It will happen. I just need to figure it out. And also remember that uh, I am the entire staff of Sully Baseball. Everything is being done online everything has been everything has been done by your pal Sully so it's not like I have a team working around the clock I have me making no money working around the clock for you so it will indeed happen but uh, for now let's continue to as we're running down all the teams that should have won let's go to the next one which would be the Texas Rangers now the Texas Rangers had when you talk, when I talk about, um, you know, you remember runs that teams have. You mainly remember what they do in October. I think the Texas Rangers are a great example of if one or two things had happened differently for the team. I don't want to say they'd be remembered as a dynasty, but they would be remembered as uh, certainly a classic franchise. Sometimes a team that's really great only wins one World Series, but you remember that World Series, and that kind of makes it is the crowning achievement for a great run. And you look at the Texas Rangers this decade, they really should be looked upon as when people talk about what the team of the decade is. Not that that's an official title, but you know, it is it is how we remember eras. It is how we remember franchises and, and the times that they played in. And the fact that Texas Rangers were in the postseason in 2010, 2011, 2012, tw- uh, almost in 2013, they lost a one-game playoff, 2015, 2016. So five years in this decade, they played in October, and if they had won one more game in 2013, uh, it would have been six years this decade, with still a few years left to go. If they had won one World Series, that's all they had to do was win one World Series, and people would look at them as, ah, that's one of the elite teams of this decade. You could say the exact same thing about the Detroit Tigers. And the Tigers and the Rangers are kind of linked because they have gone to the World Series. They've had great moments in October. And yet, they don't have that one great victory to be the crowning achievement for everything. Um, And the Rangers are interesting also because they were formed in 1972, the same year I showed up. They were the second incarnation of the Washington Senators who failed in Washington. They moved to Texas. Ted Williams was the manager. And despite having a galaxy of stars and Hall of Famers and and virtually every interesting manager to ever be a manager of the major leagues, whether it's Ted Williams, Whitey Herzog, whether it's uh, Billy Martin, whether it's Johnny Oates, Bobby Valentine, they never made the postseason until 1996. And then all they're really remembered for is being the punching bag for the New York Yankees. They made three division. They won the division three times in four years, but their record in the postseason was one and nine. They won a grand total of one game against the Yankees in those three times, and in two of those series, 1998, when everyone was juiced up the yin yang, and 1999, the Rangers 
with big, huge sluggers. Rafael Palmeiro was on one of those teams. Juan Gonzalez was on those teams. Uh, Pudge Rodriguez was on those teams. Rusty Greer, lots of big sluggers. They scored two runs in those series combined. They scored one run in 98, one run in 99 in over three games. So to say they got their butts kicked, they got their butts kicked. And so with no real postseason history, they went into this decade and all of a sudden turned everything around and became regular participants in the playoffs, but also have been on the wrong end of some of the great postseason games of this decade, including the Giants defeating them in the 2010 World Series, including the bat flip heard around the world by Jose Bautista, including the walk-off error that clinched the division series last year for Toronto. And of course, if not the greatest game of this decade, because I think the greatest game of this decade is probably game seven of last year's World Series, then a close second is the unbelievable game six of the 2011 World Series, where the Rangers came so close. And that is obviously the game that you would think would be the go-to. I mean, they were one strike away in the ninth inning and the tenth inning from winning the World Series. And beyond that, they were a Nelson Cruz leap from winning the World Series. Nelson Cruz times his leap in right field. He catches that fly ball by freeze. Rangers win the World Series, and we're having a very different conversation here. We're having a conversation where the likes of Ron Washington as the manager would have been looked upon as one of the all-time greats in terms of the figures in Rangers history, where Nolan Ryan, the president, will be looked upon as, hey, the great Texas gunslinger came back and turned the Rangers into world champions. You would have had the, the, the storyline of Adrian Beltre, of Josh Hamilton. I mean, who else, who else would have been on that, that 2011 squad that you would have had? Um, I mean, the players like Cruz, Michael Young, um, David Murphy, Mike Napoli, pitchers like uh, Neftali Feliz, like Derek Holland, they all would have been crowned as champs. And because of how close they got that year, that in terms of the narrative, it seems like that would have been the year I would pick. But I'm going to say not so fast, because there's a couple of year, other years I would examine. 2012, lest we forget, for the majority of 2012, the Rangers were in first place. For the majority of the season, the Rangers looked like they were going to be the team that was going to run away with the division where they had a six-and-a-half game lead on August 12th. And their biggest contenders were an overachieving A's team and a confused Angels team. And the Rangers, with a pretty comfortable lead, had a mission. They were going to win the World Series that eluded them in 2010 and eluded them in just, just beyond their grasp in... 2011 and this year was going to be this is it they were going to win all the games stampede their way all the way to the world series in 2012 and the yankees were a good team but not a great team the tigers were an okay team but not a great team and a smattering of teams like the a's the angels and some other clubs were wild card teams but the rangers had one purpose they were going to win the whole kit and also the caboodle. And with the addition of Hugh Darvish as an ace and with Matt Harrison at the top of the rotation and the inserting Joe Nathan as the closer, this was going to be the team whose lone job was to win it all. 
And it looked like right up until the final weekend of the season, even as their lead to the Oakland A's shrunk and they were in Oakland, all the Rangers had to do was win one game and they win the division. They dust themselves off and no one would remember they had a sloppy September. And it would have been like, all right, all right, they took a step back. Now it's, it's go time. But then they lost all the games to Oakland. And they had the ball ricochet off the glove of Josh Hamilton. And the A's came out and they won the West. They stole the West. And that was the first year that there was a wild card game that not only... Did they not make the did they not win the division? But now they didn't get an automatic bid to the division series. Now all of a sudden they had to play a do or die game against Baltimore. A game where they lost. And what looked like was going to be a year of the redemption and the build-up. They won the pennant in 2010. They got back to the World Series. Now they're going to be three straight World Series. It was in their grasp. Three straight World Series, and this time they were going to win. This time it was theirs. And instead, they're on the outside looking in after one game. I remember that whole year of which a big chunk of that year, that whole season, a big chunk of that season, I was up in Oregon working on a TV show called Axemen. I remember just thinking, you know, all this is fine, but the Rangers are winning the World Series. Or at least winning the pennant. And the fact that they didn't, and it wound up being a Tiger team that happened to catch an exhausted A's club and sneak past an injured Yankee team before getting clobbered by the Giants in the World Series. The Rangers must have looked at that going like, we're better than this Giants team. We're better than that Tiger team. Hell, they were better than the A's until the very last day. The A's were in first place one day. And it was the last day. So in many ways, that, the narrative of that year the narrative, if they had won in that year, would have been so remarkable for the history of the Rangers and all the players and for the fans to build up to that, to build up that sometimes it's greater when you have a humiliating defeat right before. The Aaron Boone home run made the championship for the Red Sox in 2004 better. The sweep by the Reds in 1976 made the 77 championship for the Yankees, even sweeter. You, that step back before glory can sometimes be the greatest, make the effect of a championship even greater. And that's what they were setting up in 2012. Now, there's two other teams I'm going to bring up. One is an unlikely team, the 1996 Texas Rangers. But Sully, didn't you say they got their butts kicked? Not that team. They lost the division series three games to one, but it was also the first time the Rangers ever made the postseason. Ever. And it was a team where there's a lot of classic Ranger players on that. Pudge Rodriguez was on that team. Uh, Dean Palmer was on that team. You had Juan Gonzalez was on that team. You had a bunch of players on that team. They had a pitching staff that was just weird. Ken Hill was really the only starting pitcher who had even a decent year. Hell, even their closer had an ERA over five. That was Mike Henneman. But in that first game in the division series, and remember, this was before the Yankees were the mighty Yankees. The Yankees hadn't won a pennant since 1981 at this point. This was Joe Torre's first year. They had lost the heartbreaking division series to Seattle the year before. There was no guarantee that the Yankees were going to advance. And in game one, John Burkett threw a complete game victory at Yankee Stadium, taking away home field advantage from the Yankees. Actually, I think it was 2-3 still at the time, but it doesn't matter. And so they were up one game to none. And then in game two, it was an extra inning game. The Texas Rangers had the lead in the eighth inning. They were six outs away from being up two games to none. And in game three, they had the lead in the bottom of the ninth, on the top of the ninth. At Arlington, first game ever played in Arlington, they were up two nothing. 
or they're up uh, two to one in the ninth inning. And if they had held on to that lead, think about that. If the Rangers held on to a lead in the eighth inning in game two and the ninth inning of game three, they would have swept the Yankees. And chances are Joe Torre would have been fired. And they would have paid the Diamondbacks whatever they can to bring in uh, uh, Buck Showalter, or they would have paid such and such off to bring back Lou Pinella. All these things would have happened, and Joe Torre would not be sitting in the Hall of Fame. If the Rangers had a decent bullpen in 1996, Joe Torre's not in the Hall of Fame. He is a blip on the radar of Yankee history. And who knows? Maybe the Yankees don't win a World Series for a while. Maybe they do. If that Ranger team had a decent bullpen, you would have looked and said, man, the Texas Rangers in their first ever year got to the ALCS. Now, I also think the Braves would have won that year. I also think the Braves, even if they made it to the World Series, would have clobbered the Texas Rangers. So I have a hard time making that the team, but I wanted to give that team some respect. And then comes this team. 2010, the Rangers win the division. Okay, they win the division. They, the Angels had basically, the Angels and the A's had dominated the American League West since 2000. And so the Rangers finally break through and they win. Okay, good. And then for the first time in their, they, they, the first time in their history, they win a postseason series. They defeated the Tampa Bay Rays, but off they were going to play the Yankees, their nemesis in the league championship series. And in game one, the Texas Rangers blew a late, game, a late lead and like, oh, great. You've given the defending world champion Yankees a new life. This is a catastrophe. But then the Rangers won game two. And then the Rangers blew out the Yankees in game three. And then they blew them out in game four. They outscored the Yankees 18-3 to in games three and four at Yankee Stadium. And the Yankees wound up winning game five, but the Rangers clinched the pennant in their home stadium in game six. Now, they wound up losing the World Series to the Giants, and they lost in five games. The thing that makes me think about that 2010 team was not just the fact it was the first time they ever advanced, not just the fact it was the first pennant Texas ever won, but the storyline of redemption on that team. You had Nolan Ryan taking over the team. I did a whole blog post and podcast about this where I compared it to a Clint Eastwood film. If Clint Eastwood would play Nolan Ryan the guy who's brought in to teach the old school ways to, the, to his old franchise, and he comes back. And it was a story of redemption for Josh Hamilton, the former number one overall pick whose career was derailed by drugs and came back and tried to redeem himself as a player and became the MVP. And it became a story of redemption for Ron Washington, who was battling his own demons of cocaine addiction that raised its ugly head in the middle of the season. And the fact that they were able to say, hey, this is who we are. We're a flawed bunch, but we still won and win together. And that they would win their first series with Cliff Lee brought in. Now, Cliff Lee, everyone in their moose thought Cliff Lee was going to be traded to the Yankees. Cliff Lee, who had wound up in Seattle after a bizarre series of trades by Philadelphia. He had ended up in Seattle, who were going nowhere in an awful hurry. And it looked like the Yankees were going to get him in a deal. It looked like Jesus Montero was going to be one of the main chips to go in the trade. And instead, he wound up going to Texas, giving the Rangers that ace that they desperately needed. And it was Cliff Lee who was on the mound to be the first ever pitcher to clinch a postseason series against for, for, for Texas at all. It was Cliff Lee, whose great series against Tampa and winning a key game against the Yankees, 
basically brought the team into the World Series, along with the power bat of Josh Hamilton, who was the League Championship Series MVP. And they did not have to face Philadelphia. They faced San Francisco. And Cliff Lee was on the mound in game one. And you forget, because we look at narratives in retrospect, that the Rangers look like they may have been a better team than San Francisco. And the Rangers were up 2-0 early with Cliff Lee on the mound and Tim Lincecum not looking sharp in game one. And if the Rangers had won that game, and they, they scored seven runs that game, and a game started by Cliff Lee. If they had won that game and taken home field advantage away from San Francisco, I believe they would have won. And if they had won, and the Giants would have gone on to win you know, two other World Series, so Giant fans would be placated. If they had won, the stories of redemption of the team, which were already terrific, would have been off the charts. Now it's something that Ranger fans remember, and lunatics like me might. But if they had won, this would have been an all-time story. Books would have been written about it. Movies would have been made. Documentaries would have been made. That this Ranger team, a team which says, you get your second chance with us, and finally bring a world championship to a franchise where it looked like a world championship might be impossible. The world champion Texas Rangers, led by Cliff Lee, led by Josh Hamilton, led by Ron Washington, led by Nolan Ryan. It's almost too perfect. And despite the fact that the year afterwards they jumped up and missed the world championship beyond the grasp of Nelson Cruz, there was no Cliff Lee on that team. The 2012 team no longer had Josh Hamilton as a symbol of redemption and superstar. I say the 2010 Texas Rangers was the team that should have won because of the narrative and what it would have meant for the legacy of the franchise. All right, there you go. Talk Rangers, talk Brewers. Go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It's no longer iTunes, it's Apple Podcasts. I'm on Stitcher, I'm on YouTube, I'm everywhere. Uh, Tell your friends about the In Memoriam video I made earlier this month. I'm very proud of that. And there will be more video stuff made in the course of the year. You can, the old school, send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. The music, as always, is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been Sully Baseball, recording today on the 27th day of July, 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Hey, Brewers, let's make this interesting. And you can call me Sully.